cinema has this incredible ability to bridge between art forms, between cultures, between languages. So that's where it's power. Named after the Greek goddess of dance and chorus, and also an allusion to historian Sally Baines's seminal book on postmodern dance, Terpsichorean Sneakers, Terpsichore is a platform celebrating female dancers, choreographers, and bodies in motion, curated by me, dance critic and writer Emily May. Posting information, images, and videos of female dance pioneers, both past and present, on a daily basis on our Instagram account, Terpsichore has now started its very own podcast where I will be interviewing leading women from the dance industry about their lives, careers and the female artists that have inspired them. I'm delighted to welcome the wonderful dance film director Alok Kovgan to the podcast for our fourth episode. Born and educated in Moscow and now based in New York City, Alok creates films, installations and stage intermedia performances as well as teaching and curating dance film and avant-garde cinema around the world. Recently renowned for directing the acclaimed Cunningham 3D documentary. She has also worked on projects including Nora, a dance film loosely based on the life of Zimbabwe-born choreographer Nora Chipalmire, and African Dance, Sand, Drum and Shostakovich, a documentary exploring contemporary dance in Africa. Her upcoming project, Toki, will be her first narrative feature and will see her work in collaboration with Korean choreographer Eun Mi An, who is widely known as the Pina Bausch of Asia. As audiences only access to dance is through a screen due to the global pandemic, I thought it was a perfect time to talk to Alla about the specificities of dance film as an art form. Well, hello, Ala. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. How are you and where are you speaking to us from today? I'm in New York. Thank you. I'm fine. Everyone is healthy. So we could not wish for more at the moment. Well, it's amazing that you've agreed to be interviewed for this podcast. And I wanted to kick straight off with my first question. And obviously, as you're a film director, I wanted to ask you how this all started for you and how you first became interested in film. Originally, I'm from Moscow, and in Moscow, I actually didn't do cinema. I was doing languages and linguistics, so that was my first background. But at some point, I realized that the language that interests me the most is the visual language, the language of cinema. And so I left Russia and I came to the United States, where I was hoping to learn everything about filmmaking. It's interesting because back in Russia, first I actually tried there. I went to some film school. We have a very famous film school called Vgeek and it's a place where everybody went at the time and I was asked what I would like to do what kind of filmmaking do I want to be a director or do I want to be a writer or an editor and I didn't know so I just felt like okay I would like to try it all I would like to try cinematography and all that and I said well no 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 that's not how it works we recommend you choose editing because you know women are very very good editors so that's how it began I felt like I should leave and find some other place in the world and so that's how I got into filmmaking really like thinking of cinema as a language from the start you specialize in dance film and directing films about dance that's why I wanted to talk to you today so I wondered what were some of your first experiences with dance as a medium and how did your interest in combining dance and film in your work come about 
So just to continue the story, it's kind of a, a logical sequence, because when I got to America, I, I felt incredibly handicapped. Although I spoke very good English, I felt like I couldn't actually write fiction scripts at all. So I turned to physical performers. I was thinking, well, if I work with dancers or somebody who can express things physically, I don't need language. So that actually was very interesting. And that's how I got introduced to some dancers that was back in Boston. So we just you know, picked up the camera and we tried to do little things. Now, at the time, I also I also sort of studied experimental film at the university. The person who struck me the most was this, almost my compatriot, this woman named Maya Darren. She was born in Ukraine, but she immigrated to the United States. And she's probably the one who really identified, formulated, articulated what dance and film do for each other. And that was like in the 40s. It doesn't mean that dance and film didn't exist prior to that. Of course, there were a lot of musicals and there were all kinds of things have been going on. But she really articulated that basically cinema can make dancer have limitless possibilities and that really struck me at the time I mean she's an amazing amazing person she died very young but there's a fantastic film about her in the mirror of Maya Darren that I feel like everybody should watch she was really like almost like a, an artist scientist trying to find the connection so I found very inspiring but then I started realizing that dance and film share quite an interesting history because you know modern dance actually as we know it and cinema were born at the end of the 19th century and the first filmmakers were interested in capturing motion. That's what differentiated cinema from photography, for instance, right? And of course, the most interesting movies were the dancers. So Thomas Edison and Lumiere and Georges Méliès and all those people, they were incredibly interested in physical performance. And then if you think, if you take it further, that Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton and all the physical comedians they were all coming from some kind of form of physicality, whether it was acrobatics, circus, whether they danced in some kind of shows, like all that definitely was incredibly helpful on film. So I got into this massive archive of knowledge and I started a festival in St. Petersburg called Kino Dance with an idea that I wanted to introduce people to this dance film collaborations. And we were taking it in a very broad way, kind of like we call it physical cinema, choreographic cinema, because you know, you don't have to necessarily have dancers, you can have birds or whoever else dancing on film. So that's how it became something I got incredibly immersed in. I really like that you mentioned there it's a collaborative form and I was wondering if you could speak a bit about when you're working on films, what the process is like of collaborating with dancers or choreographer to bring together two artistic visions. Well that's a very tricky question because you know dance and film they're inherently in conflict. What unites them is basically choreography. I often ask like what is choreography? You you know, it's not an obvious question. It's sort of an art of organizing action in time and space. It's just the time and space are so different in live theater, if we call dance part of theater, and on screen. And that's a very old debate, and a lot of people have been writing about it, and especially, you know, thinking and investigating it in the early 20th century when cinema was born. Because, you know, we're not just recording theater. Right? So we're making something else. We have a language to work with. And so dance has a language and cinema has language. Now, dance has many different languages because it depends what kind of dance you're talking about. So then the question is like, what is important? Right? So if a choreographer like Mars Kaihim, you know, comes in, he has a set of choreography that already he worked out, for instance, for the stage. There are choreographic phrases that last in time that are important. And I'll give you a really great example, actually, when we were working with Kaihim, my director of choreography, Robert Swinston, said, you know, in this dance, Winter Branch, 
There's one moment where the woman is raising her hands and that is going on for over a minute. We need to keep that timing. And I said, well, but how are we going to keep that time? Who wants to look at the woman who's raising her hands for over a minute? It's incredibly boring. And he said, no, it's not boring. It's Mercer's timing. And we have to figure out not to cut in the middle of it because it's really important how she does it. I said, okay, but my people went out for lunch. They're they're smoking cigarettes, they're they're drinking coffee outside. They're bored. And he goes, no. So it made me think about how do I make this time, the time she's raising her hands, work on film. Now, Winter Branch is a dance based on the actual falling. And, you know, in cinema, you don't have to fall to experience falling. So we put... Uh, this woman on the edge of the rooftop at that point and we choreographed the shot in such a way that for that duration of time as she's raising her hands people are seeing this massive shot that goes from very low of the building to, to very high of over her and everybody is having like this the gasp because they're worried about her she's gonna fall over so this is a kind of collaboration that I absolutely love because we're trying to reconcile the differences between dance and cinema we're trying to find a compromise that will work ultimately on film because that's what we're doing. That's the medium we are presenting the work is cinema. So we have to find a way to keep the integrity of the dance in this case, but yet make it work in cinema. I call it translating of the ideas from one medium to another. I find that really interesting because I've talked with other people who work with dance and film and they argue that because obviously you can't exactly recreate what happens on stage with a dance film and a dance film is something in itself. It's almost by finding these different ways or placing things in different contexts you're almost more faithful to the original because if you just record a dance theater piece straight on you don't get the same emotions in the audience as you would if you have these more inventive ways as you are describing it's a language thing i mean cinema has a language we're not capturing anything capturing is for archiving so people can reproduce actually even the archiving is quite poor i mean in order to reproduce you have to see the body from all sides and now we have this thing called you know the in VR they work and like Google all these people are trying to create volumetric capture so that you can actually see the dancer from all sides it's very going to be great once they do that because for learning the dance that would be great now this is not about capturing cinema is a medium it's another art form so we are in a dialogue. We're not trying to recreate what's on stage. You know, why would we just go and watch the performance on stage? We're trying to make something different. I mean, I've worked both ways. Like with Cunningham, for instance, we could not alter his choreography. That is his choreography. We could change a bit of spacing. And I had two people working with me, Jennifer Goggins, who worked with Mars for 12 years, and Robert Swinston, who worked with him for over 30 years. And they were my people who were the dance, you know, the Mars people, right? They were watching and we discussed so many things but nothing is altered there may be spacing but not the timing often but that was good it was constant right so the idea was to translate Marshall's ideas into cinema to find ways now I worked in a very different way with Nora Chipamira for instance where we wrote a script and then based on the script she created movement some of it that she already did from her career because it was biographical some and some of it she created from scratch some of it she created for other people from scratch for film you know that's a different different way of working we had more flexibility it's always a question who is your collaborator even if they're not here you know you're still collaborating with them and the second question is like what are you trying to do what's important I always say the dancers would be the best filmmakers because they know the choreography. They can adjust and change because I'm always dependent on somebody. I'm not a dancer, I'm not a choreographer, so I'm dependent 
in, in a kind of dance sense, because, you know, filmmakers in a way are also choreographers because we're constantly choreographing mise-en-scene, for instance. We constantly say where people come and go, what happens in the frame, right? We are basically creating a setup for the camera to work with, right? And the camera moves, that's part of the choreography. Editing is choreography, we can talk about this, but in the end, the dancers and choreographers can always learn filmmaking. And you have a great example of Bob Fosse, for instance, you know, who absolutely embraced it and he made some of the best dance films ever still today and it's great if choreographer and director is one person because it's one vision you know you don't have to negotiate you can just adjust yourself quite fast but a lot of choreographers don't you know want to engage with cinema and don't want to engage with media and now it's of course changing because of covid but in general because they're dedicated and devoted to the live art which i very much respect and hope we can get back to it someday but in the end we're just in different worlds and we're trying to find this points of contact I'm interested because you brought up the global pandemic. Have you seen a rise in people who may not have been engaged in dance and film being engaged with it now? I mean, there's still challenges to producing dance film at the minute because of obviously we can't all be together. But have you seen an increase of engagement with dance film during the global pandemic? Well, yes. I mean, everybody does it now. It's ubiquitous. But, you know, it all depends on which world you're talking about because I've seen so many different kinds of dances, so many different kinds of engagements. In the West, we're very precious about things. You know, we're constantly past judgment. <laughs> You know, on, on things and in other places like for instance there's this artist Farah Gola he's a, actually a musician he's not a, a dance choreographer but all his music videos are filled with dance and he is uh, from Congo you know I mean he's incredible following and people there's so much dance in it but we would never think of it as dance film although they are and they've been doing that forever I mean this is like they have a YouTube channel and that's been going on it's kind of porous it's everywhere here yes I mean everybody every institution now here they they are trying to come up with ideas because before that it was a kind of oh I need to find a way to archive to capture but now this is the medium all that stage capture is boring and impossible to watch for normal people for the regular views so that doesn't work now what are you gonna do so they become more interested across all dance forms and genres so i would say there was always interest in certain genres i mean hip-hop videos but now it's just sort of trickled down towards this kind of institution that hold a lot of power if you will you know just in terms of where the money go right so lincoln center did this and all of of them all of a sudden decided to commission work for the screen so it's definitely a change i think it's actually really good for dance i mean it's horrible what's going on in terms of lack of live performance and live theater but in terms of just looking forward it's actually i think it's good for different ways of sort of carrying the legacy also of the performance forward. Because obviously that is one big challenge for dance in the fact that it's ephemeral. So people often talk about you have a performance and then it's gone and it's lost. I'm personally very interested in early 20th century dance in the Weimar Republic. And to us, there's so many lost works from that time that we just have text fragments from. But yes, as you say, with this increasing knowledge about dance film, then perhaps that won't be so much of an issue for people a hundred years from now if they have this to look back on. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely, I mean, it's a way to carry somebody's legacy forward and the better you do it, the more powerful it'll stay in people's minds. And I think, again, it's two directions. One direction is the archive and capture. This is one direction and I think technology is going to keep pushing. It, it's been pushing whether there's pandemic or not. And the other one is actually we're making art. That's a different thing. That is kind of how do we make some timeless work 
that would allow for people to experience a vision of a choreographer or the work of art. Because oftentimes, in documentaries especially, you learn a lot about a choreographer as a person, right? So it's a traditional documentary, you have a person talking, you know where they were born, where they studied, and all that. You may know how they work with dancers, but you have very little idea about what their work is like because dance is used as a filler. Talk, 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 a lot of talking and very few moments of dancing just to kind of spice it up as a rhythm. And then we move on to talking. Now that doesn't give any idea of what actually the work is. So that's why I feel like now this is somewhat shifting, right? That actually it's important to have the experience the work in this different medium. That's an amazing lead-in to talk about your most recent film, which is Cunningham 3D, about Merce Cunningham. We've talked about it a little bit previously for an article I wrote about it, but I was wondering if we could maybe revisit what attracted you to the work of Merce Cunningham and to create this film. Yeah, again, I feel like the project chose me. <laughs> you know, I always feel these things happen by chance and there's no chance at all in it. So I got interested in 3D because of Pina, the film by Wim Wenders, uh, about um, German choreographer, in a Bausch. I saw it and I really could experience that there's something unique about this new encounter between 3D and dance. Primarily because it allows you to experience space between the dances. That's what 2D never does. In 2D people are flat no matter what we do. Even if we choreograph our shots in this most incredible way, you know, take into consideration all the things we've talked about, we can never escape that, the flatness. With 3D you start understanding about space. You almost feel very close to the dancer. You experience proximity again but it's not about close-ups it's just about creating dimension another dimension so I got very interested in that. That coincided with my going to some of the last performances of the Merskanhim Dance Company which closed in 2011 and I was looking at those dancers on stage and I kept thinking well maybe Merskan 3D can be a good fit primarily because he works with space so much and 3D works in space so much. I always say that the best 3D film will be the one that will have no cuts so that you can actually just sort of journey through the space. So that's how it began. It really was an inkling I experienced, I had uh, watching the dances and that was the beginning. You know, I knew of Merce, of course, and I've seen his work because of my connection to dance film, but I didn't know much about him as a person. I heard, you know, all kinds of myths and rumors, but that was that he was inaccessible, that he was kind of cold and... There were a lot of dancers were very upset, he wouldn't communicate and all that. But as I began researching, I realized, first of all, everybody makes their own version of Merz. And second of all, that he was an incredible humanist. He just had a way to deal with the world in a certain way. And that's a fact of how he worked. But overall, he was just this incredibly gentle, beautiful uh, visionary. So that was a good journey for me to discover who he was. And the period that struck the most was between 1942 and 1972, because he was not the famous choreographer, as we all know, but a struggling dancer trying to figure out what he was going to do. So that's how the film was sort of set within that period, from like the first concert that he and his partner, composer John Cage, gave together until basically his first company, the film is an amazing example of what you were talking about before of having a different approach to documentary where the dance isn't just an add-on it's a beautiful tapestry bringing together audio and then the dance and some very quite long clips and scenes especially towards the end newly record footage as well as archival footage as well as beautiful animations going on on the screen do you think that putting dance in this context it made it kind of more accessible to a new audience especially someone like Merce Cunningham while he's quite well known it's still a very avant-garde choreographer was that an aim 
dream of yours to try and make his work a bit more accessible to a new audience? It's interesting. I care about the audience a lot, but I care even more about keeping the integrity of the artist I'm making the film about. So it was a challenge. How do you make a film that's accessible in content, but inventive in form? Because that's what I think Kanye was. I mean, Kanye was not an elitist. I mean, a lot of people think, oh, he belonged to this sort of American artistic elite of the post-war New York, which he did, but he was not a snob. He would perform for anybody who would be willing to look at it and watch it and allow themselves to sort of see what's happening without judgment, but just experience what's there. So I think that was a very interesting point. So that quality I wanted the film to have. Like, it's not for the thousand people in New York City or for another thousand Berlin, Paris and London or wherever else. It's really for anybody. I often recommend to take, you know, kids. And we did those kind of screenings because I think they do get inspired. Some mothers of ballet kids watched it. I think the girls were like five or six and they said, all the mothers who want their kids to be in ballet, they should totally watch your film because I think that really makes you understand what becoming a dancer means. And I think that's what it's about because Merce, he says right in the beginning of the film, I am a dancer. And that's what's important to me. That's who I am. And I think that is very, very moving. Somebody else said, like, I sort of demystified him. I presented a human being first. So all those things took me a long time to understand. I kind of researched him quite a bit. I mean, something I think he was quite obsessed with is to be documented, actually, because the amount of material that's out there is incredible. Like audio recordings, interviews, archival footage, photographs. I mean, it's thousands and thousands and thousands of photographs. I mean, it's unbelievable. And I think every single famous New York photographer of the post-war War II photographed him. And again, people say, was he obsessed? Was he worried about the ephemeral quality of dancing? He wanted to be captured. Or was he just saying yes to things all the time? Because he did say yes. Okay, let's try. Okay, let's do it. Because he believed that once you say yes, you open the doors, something is possible. When you say no, the door shuts, nothing happens. All these qualities I wanted for people to experience. But my primary goal was to translate his choreography ideas into cinema and the two-thirds of the film is actually the dance itself translate into cinema very carefully you know with the help of two people who knew him so well and work with him and it took us seven months to go over the 80 work that Merce did between 1942-1972 and to choose those you know 14 works that we then would work with on film so it's a very laborious careful crafting process and then the question is like how do you marry the archival footage archival material and live action footage that we actually shot specifically for the film i mean the choreography was learned by the last generation of kind dancers and then we worked uh, with them to translate most ideas into cinema. That's another big challenge because archival material is in 2D. So how do you arrange it? How do you sculpt it almost into 3D? Because we wanted the whole film to be in 3D. This There was another helper, this artist named Joseph Cornell, who is an American artist, a visual artist, who used to make those boxes usually dedicated to people he liked, and then he'll take different objects in them and he would like arrange them in different ways. And so that's how we've treated the archive. We basically took multiple materials 
for every archival moment and would sculpt them in space. So they're different planes, foreground, middle ground, background, and they also move so that the whole movie stays in 3D. But it's a challenging process and quite technical too. So just thinking about all these elements, this kind of formal level, and then yet carrying kind of Merce's vision, soul and integrity through. And also inviting people in, like giving them insights. If you look at the film, like we introduce it with like very short uh, dance sequences. And as we go on like to Rainforest, it's actually almost five minute sequence and you can watch uninterrupted. You almost kind of like train viewer's eye to arrive and tolerate and learn how to look at it, you know, and be with it and allow yourself to see. Obviously, we talk about 3D here, but another big development in film and technology has been virtual reality and VR, which I believe you worked with on your film Devil's Lungs. I was wondering what excites you about VR and if you think that this is another very exciting development for dance and film. I've tried VR. We've made one piece uh, with this Tsumi Dance Theatre in Finland, and it's complicated. I think technology is still very raw. I mean, what we can do in cinema, just visually, is so much more advanced what we can do in VR. But it's going to get there. Now, I think, first of all, what bugs me about it is accessibility factor. This is basically movies for one person. So you put on the headsets, and then you're in that headset, and you can kind of experience work. Now, you cannot be in it more than 10 minutes. Your head starts hurting. Yeah, I mean, you can have other people in headsets. You can sort of share the experience, you know, sort of with other people. But again, it's very raw still it's not pleasant so you kind of have to work to watch right now it's terribly elitist medium in Aritu for instance one of the big Hollywood directors he had a piece and it was like hundred dollars to pay and you had to sign up to some gallery and you have to wait I mean all that is too much fuss I mean come on you know like you just have to be able to see the work so I think until this is sorted just in terms of how people can access it and I know people are buying those headsets but they're eight hundred dollars I am kind of still skeptical now if you think of it as a new form beyond all these technical sort of difficulties that we experience now yeah it's interesting because you are basically in 360 degree space and you can keep walking through those spaces indefinitely and there's a kind of continuity that dancers always want to keep that can allow for in general it's very interesting to think especially especially in 360 degrees because even in 3d when we do cinema you know we don't see things that we don't see. We don't give a viewer a chance to choose where to look. We choreograph the eye. We sort of force them to look in a certain way. In VR, it's up to you. It's up to the viewer. You can actually choose what happens. And choreographing and for that is very different from even cinema. So I think like any medium, it, it's going to find its place, its legs. But so far, I still feel like until those technological things uh, get solved, it's just very sad because in the end, you just have few people watching it in its glory. It's just otherwise, you just put it on YouTube and I mean, it's okay, but it's not the same effect. So I would love that to kind of get solved before I can get back to it. Well, you are working on at the minute, I think, or your upcoming film, uh, Toki, is a narrative feature set in Seoul. It tells the story of one weekend in the life of a rebellious Korean female choreographer in crisis. Um, I was wondering if you could maybe introduce me to how this project came about and what we can expect. You know, I like doing things that I haven't done before. So like I've never made 3D film before, now I did. <laughs> you know, I've never made a narrative feature with dance. So I would like to try that. The project actually began 10 years ago in 2010. It was before Mercer's project. Mercer's project took like seven years to make. So I met this Korean choreographer, Unmi An. I was immediately drawn to her because she was so, you know, cinematic. Her work is, it's a kind of a work of visual art. 
artist as much as it is a, of a very inventive choreographer. I absolutely loved how she could combine contemporary dance elements and traditional dance elements and everything on earth into her work. She got an MFA at NYU, New York University in New York City. So she lived here for 10 years, but then she was invited to Daegu City in Korea to direct a 42 people company. So that was an amazing opportunity for her. So she couldn't refuse. So she went back to Korea and worked with that company. And some of the work she created are just unbelievable. I mean, she was one of the favorites of Pina Bausch. I mean, they call her Pina Bausch of Asia because they two had a lot of connection. It's such a big contrast to MERS, actually, you know, in terms of the dance theater work rather than more formal conceptual work that's focusing on pure movement, you know. So I thought she's really good for the narrative, actually, because there's a lot of narrative in the work. And in a kind of paradoxes of combining this kind of high-tech techno world that she lives in on the one hand an absolutely kind of peasant rural world on the other hand that Korea is basically represents it's this mishmash of things and yet she is very much you know she has so much kind of knowledge and interest in what's happening outside of her country so it was a good match so I spent six weeks with her in Korea in 2010 researching and trying to figure out what we're going to do. And so I basically started writing this script back then. But then Merce came along and then everything got postponed. So I'm just basically just coming back to that project uh, with all the knowledge I have, with everything that Merce taught me and the people I worked with in the process. But it's another challenge. You know, how do you make that perfect cabaret that Bob Fosse did? Because I think it's one of the best narrative films with dance that exists. How do you balance the narrative and dance? How do you give space to dance without making musical? Because musicals basically are very formulaic. You have story goes on, story stops, you have a number, story keeps going on, you have next number, and so on. So I'm trying to avoid that. So I'm trying to create this kind of hybrid narrative where dance and story kind of come together pretty much like uh, in Bob Fosse Cabaret. And how would you compare what you're trying to do with this new film and what you did with Nora, which was a film we talked about previously? Are there any similarities, differences, or any learnings that you're taking from that project forward into this one? Yeah, I mean, every project gives you something to sort of think about, right? I mean, I did Nora before I did Cunningham. And actually, when I was moving towards Korea, that was the direct connection that I had. I mean, it's another female choreographer. It's another story based on somebody's life, loosely, but it's actually reimagined as a narrative because Nora is based somewhat on Nora's life, but it's actually its own thing. But they're different because, I mean, this is a real an attempt to make a narrative that is more, if you will, traditional narrative, although the nothing I do kind of is traditional. And also the length of it, you know, it's like a full feature film. That makes it quite different. We wrote script for Nora that was much more imagistic. We had ideas and we had story going but they were just described images here I'm writing actually a proper script like any other movie that's a whole other challenge how do you actually write a script for a dance film because you know how much you describe I and mean, there are all these Hollywood formulas one minute one page and all that that they don't work actually I should mention one film that I absolutely love recently and I would love to see a script of it it's called Lovers Rock by Steve McQueen and I think it's one of the best dance films made in, in a very long time. I'm totally dying to see what the script looked like because there are 20 lines in that movie. 
and it happens you know for like 68 minutes or something so like how did they do that scripts are often are required by the producers because they need to know what you're gonna do and how you're gonna find it but Steve McQueen you know he he probably has a lot of freeway but he actually even said that sometimes you'd write a sentence and there'll be three minutes because of the actual dance that goes into it so there's all these challenges that I'm sorting through but in the end I hope we can challenge Parasite you know <laughs> because I think it, I think this also those Korean movies I mean they show only one side of it all and I think you know there's so much power in female characters and female artists that's in Korea that I feel like that needs to be brought forward that's something else that films can do really well they can make somebody incredibly known uh, and I think in me definitely deserves that although of course she it's I'm not even know if she will be in it herself or she's just gonna be a choreographer that's a really great lead on to the next question question I had you saying about film showing a different side and in this case a different side of Korea than maybe we might have seen in the West previously and that's also kind of a theme in your film that I watched African Dance, Sand Drum and Shostakovich which is an amazing documentary showing this different side of the African contemporary dance scene than all the preconceptions that have maybe been formed by the West. Would you say that shining a light on these uncovered narratives or preconceptions about different places in the world whether it's Africa or Korea is an important part or motivator for you in your work? That's a great question. I don't know how this project come up. I mean, I always feel like I have more project to make than I have lifetime, mostly. Once you move countries, you become a sort of a nomad. Yeah, you don't belong to any culture. And yet you amalgamate all the cultures around you. you know, I went to university in Moscow. I'm educated in Russia. I understand Russian sensibility. It's my home. But America is much of my home as Russia is. So it's a real thing of when you start carrying both narratives and you start carrying both worlds. Actually, it's very organic for me to enter a whole other world. And not so much. Of course, I'm very aware of all the um, issues of a, a person coming from outside, inside another culture. But I do think if it's done very carefully, and mindfully with the consciousness and the kind of understanding where you're coming from and who you, how you engage with I think it can produce some incredible stuff because the outsider eye is absolutely different from insider eye and outsider eye sees things that the insiders don't see now they also can exoticize they can also make something that's not there because they're just not familiar and they don't understand what's happening so it's a very delicate dance in a way that's why i work with the person from the culture from the world and and we're trying to find this points of contact and if we do and it works then i think things can work out if we don't then it couldn't work you need to find those you know and i think with nora and with me in this particular case we have those yeah so we can actually speak and discuss things honestly but at the same time we're gonna have our differences no matter what you know nora is not an african film because it's it's not made by an African director. I mean, we cannot say African because, you know, this is a specific country, Zimbabwe, was shot on the border with Mozambique. It's a very specific thing. I mean, I do think those cross-cultural collaborations work, but I am after sort of exposing, if you will, the other side in these different situations because I can see it and I can experience it with the person I'm collaborating with. And I also started realizing that the world has no idea about that. You know, they don't know because everybody sort of sits in their own world. That's true for dance, although there's all these crossovers. I mean, think about ballet versus 50,000 kinds of modern dance or then go to street dance and then think about 50 kinds of street dance or more and so on. So 
Cinema has this incredible ability to bridge between art forms, between cultures, between languages. So that's where it's power, right? And expose, expose the similarities and differences. So I think that's where I come in, in a sense, that I'm entering that space in between and I'm trying to bring different worlds together. So it's not going to be Korean film and it's not going to be American film. It's going to be the result of this encounter that two artists from different cultures create. That's a beautiful answer. Thank you. And I think that's really important now at a time where there seems to be so many forces trying to keep us apart and keep us in our separate boxes to have these projects that bring us together and cause collaboration. I have just one question left, which I've been asking everyone. If you could meet and talk to any female dance practitioner, or in your case, I'm also going to add dance film practitioner from history, who would it be? And maybe what would you want to ask them? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of dance people, I would love to meet Catherine Dunham. You know, she was an African-American choreographer. I just think what she did was quite extraordinary. And again, how she could bridge between the worlds and what she did. I mean, Maya Darren actually studied with her. I was just interested how she was thinking about things. I would talk to Pina Bausch definitely because, you know, she made a film herself, which was not, I think, wasn't a great film. But I do think if she actually would have fallen in love with cinema, I think she would have made an incredible amount of films that would really change how people think about human condition and also in terms of what dance can do. I love Claire Denis, which is a French filmmaker. I think she's incredibly delicate and very sensitive you know, one day I'd love to have lunch with her. She's still alive. You know, she understands certain things about movement. I mean, she's not a choreographer, she's not a dancer, but she, her films are incredibly choreographic. I mean, dance film is so isolated. You know, so few people who can actually love it and, and understand it. What, what is it about? I know that, you know, if there's a great musical, everybody goes and everybody loves it. That, that, is, that is fine, but we're talking about form. You know, we're talking about language. We're talking about how these languages come together and what can we make using them and what is the encounter sometimes magic things happen, like Stephen McQueen's film, going back, Love is Rock. I mean, this is beyond Bob Foss or anything like that. This is the essence of cinema because it's a groovy movie. You would like to watch it 25 times and it never can end. So I think Stephen McQueen would be great. I would love to talk about Love is Rock with him. You know, I have so many people to meet. Some, 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 some alive even. Well, thank you so much, Ala, for all your time. It was an amazing conversation. I appreciate it, Emily. Thank you. I hope you Stay healthy and we continue <laughs> one day or another. As Merskai, you know, Merskai used to say, we continue or we begin again. So that's, that's a good one. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the fourth episode of the Terpsichore podcast with the amazing Alla Kovgan. If you would like to find out more about Alla's work, head over to her website www.kinodance.com or if you'd like to watch her Merce Cunningham documentary, follow at Cunningham Film on Instagram to find out how you can buy or watch the film on demand. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could subscribe and leave us a rating and review, as it helps other people to find us. You can also follow Terpsichore Mag on Instagram or sign up to our newsletter via our website, www.terpsichore-mag.com. Thanks so much again for listening to the Terpsichore podcast with me, Emily May.